You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Goldsevich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show and I'm your host West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon and it's another beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest as we're sitting in a really strange weather pattern of course it doesn't help California at all because we're getting east winds here too but you know we don't have quite the problem although we've had a couple uh, wildfires actually crop up in October here. They're not quite as big and as vicious as California, but um, the same weather pattern, you know, that high pressure system that brings those um, offshore winds down, downslope winds out of the uh, high desert uh, happens here in Oregon too. Not quite as uh, raging and windy, but we still get, you know, can dry out things pretty fast. So all you folks out there, thinking about burning pile leaves or uh, brush, uh, wait till it rains again. (laughs) We don't need any more fire. In fact, we've been sending our fire equipment to California, so we really don't have a whole lot of manpower just sitting around here in Oregon um, waiting to fight fires. And we've had a couple crop up recently here uh, in Lane County, even in other places around Oregon, uh, just with this sort of bizarre little dry spell we're having here in October, which kind of leads to another thing, you know, besides having these dry winds, that dry air has a very low dew point. And if we have a nice clear night with enough of a breeze to keep fog from forming, we get record low temperatures. And uh, normally in October, our normal low temperatures do not drop below freezing the entire month. So for us to get below freezing before November 1st is unusual. And we actually were were tipping down into the low 20s in some areas uh, recently. And uh, it kind of led to a lot of people being suddenly concerned because a lot of our winter strategies for keeping the homeless people from freezing to death out on the street, all of our contracts start on November 1st because that's usually very earliest we see freezing weather here in western Oregon in the Willamette Valley Uh, and it it was really unusual to see this um, the week before November starts Uh, probably a once in every 50 years sort of event and some of our commissioners yesterday were getting a little bit critical and claiming that we're you know once again here we are running around at the last minute trying to arrange stuff to keep people from dying of exposure. And I thought it was really sort of unfair to staff because we actually have been planning winter strategies since last winter. And in fact, um, you know, have are supplying more shelter type warming beds than we've ever supplied before. Um, work, you know, to make sure the Egan system is going to be up and running starting November 1st. And, uh, you know, this record unusual, you know, possibly a once in a lifetime cold snap, uh, depending on how long you live, um, you know, caught us having to scramble a little bit. But even with that, our staff managed to get um, the Wheeler Pavilion at the fairgrounds open last night as a warming center, and 140 people stayed there last night. Might be more tonight as people hear about it. But, you know, before the contracts, you know, start with, with uh, St. Vincent de Paul and all of our partners and the, war- the other warming centers, uh, we managed to get that one open. And then there's some other ones like the Fern Ridge and Florence warming centers that, are, that aren't tied to the Egan system as tightly. They're being run um, 
out of churches um, and mostly staff with local volunteers, they actually were open uh, last night. So we weren't completely without places for people to go to, to prevent them from dying of exposure. Um, so we, we did manage to, to scramble and get the, the Wheeler Pavilion open, but um, I kind of felt bad uh, for some of our staff yesterday because a couple of the commissioners sort of tried to imply that we're always scrambling, um, you know, and really, you know, a once every 50 years sort of event, yeah, you're going to scramble for it. Yeah. Just like we scrambled when we had that, you know, the flooding issues last uh, April and the uh, snowstorm last February, those aren't normal events. You know, they'll make you scramble. Um, and when you get a cold snap in October that sets records, you're going to kind of expect that, you know, maybe that wasn't part of the planning for the winter because how do you plan for something that happens, you know, that rarely, you know, it's, it just seems kind of uh, um, an unfair criticism of, of our staff. And even with, without that, you know, they already had the wheels in motion to work on getting the, the wheel of pavilion open and managed to do so. So even without um, some of that uh, unfair criticism, uh, staff was already working on solutions and knew there was going to be an issue. So I, I hats off to staff, did a great job. Uh, probably just want to say, you know, I appreciate the hard work you do. I understand you've been planning for this winter. I understand this is not a normal event. And I do not hold you responsible for the fact that your contracts start November 1st, two days from now. And we just happened to get a, a once, you know, in a lifetime cold snap in October um, that set records. You know, and those records go back, you know, basically 100 years. So when, you, when you're breaking low temperature records, you, you know you've got a pretty unusual event. But speaking of homelessness, and I understand that Robin might actually have a little map to show where I'm talking about. Today, uh, we had a joint um, fair board and board of commissioners work session to talk a little bit about a proposal to possibly put 20 units of supportive housing out at our um, event center and fairgrounds on a little piece of the property right about 13th and Tyler, which is really like the northwest most portion of the fairgrounds. It's kind of a little piece that sticks out because it was some extra property we, we uh, acquired and added on later. Um, but, you know, the reason we kind of did that and identified that area was the state of Oregon you know, last legislature uh, appropriated a bunch of money for affordable housing. And the state, you know, the, the uh, governor's office, the administration side, the legislature appropriates money, the, le the administrative side, you know, um, and, you know, takes care of getting it out to do whatever the legislature wants it to do, um, put out a $20 million set of funds for grant applications and basically gave entities like the county and our partners less than three weeks to, to reply. So in that time, it was difficult to try and call a you know, board work session for the fair board and the board to get together and talk about this. They identified that property in the grant application, knowing that they may have to change which property and substitute a different piece of property later. Um, so it's kind of like a placeholder piece of property. So all you folks in Jefferson West Side don't get too excited yet because it's really just a placeholder. And one of the reasons it's a placeholder is we're currently have a consultant working on a master plan for the event center. And that piece of property may become integral in the, the highest and best use of that event center and maximizing uh, utilization and revenues out of that, that property which generates jobs and economic activity for Lane County. Um, that, you know, there's, there's a reason why we have an event center. It actually generates economic activity, uh, not just the Lane County Fair. You know, think about the home show that comes there. Um, 
you know, the, uh, the, and various other shows that come through there and other events that are held at, at there, the, the, the logging conference that gets held there every year. Um, you know, it brings a lot of, you know, uh, use of our local hotels. It brings a lot of use of restaurants in town. Um, you know, people come to those events, they spend money in the community. So it's a good thing economically. So uh, interfering with that has an impact to the economy of the area, which, you know, when you start talking about impacting jobs, that can sometimes be why somebody becomes homeless. So don't want to have the, the, you know, part of the solution to the homeless problem create additional homelessness. So I'm really um, going to wait until that consultant report is out before I would support um, putting this uh, new building out there at 13th and Tyler. Um, but it was first chance that both the Board of Commissioners got to look at it and the Fair Board, really. Fair Board's really skeptical of it because, you know, they understand um, for certain events that property is fully utilized. During the, the Lane County Fair, that property is used for camping and VIP parking. You know, so it, it's used. And it, get, it gets used at other times, too. Um, but, you know, for the um, 4-H and youth fair folks with the animals, that's one of the places where they can park and camp um, and stay there during during the week of the fair. Because um, a lot of those folks that are animal exhibitors have to stay with the animals um, at the fair. Um, so it gives a place to park RVs, and et cetera. And that may be what becomes the permanent use of that area. And it actually can generate revenue from the RV uh, campsites. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But it was an interesting discussion. And it was a, a little bit strange if somebody wants to go back and watch the uh, video feed. Um, our, our chair um, went off on a tangent about the number of housing units that made absolutely no sense to me and it kind of made me scratch my head and wonder if you'd actually read the uh the tac report that we got last year on homelessness and solutions um as you know eight of the ten recommendations they made were system changes not new housing and it seemed to be all he was focused on was the number of housing units that might be coming and was trying to add together a couple numbers that made no sense to add together. Um, it was just a very bizarre moment <laughs> in a board meeting where everyone was looking at each other and wondering what he was trying to get at. Um, but, you know, that happens sometimes. So, you know, it was an interesting discussion, you know, always brings up the, that whole issue of homelessness. We talked a bit about it last week as, as, you know, Eugene got recognized for having the highest per capita population of homeless. Um, and I've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of my, one of the things that drive some of that, um, the supply and cost of housing in this area is incredibly tight and, and high. You know, there's very little supply and it's very expensive. Um, we come in uh, in the top 10% in the nation of the 300 municipalities uh, that are larger than 100,000 people for housing cost burden. You know, where, where the, the percent of uh, family, you know, median family income that, that it takes to get the median rent paid here is, you know, the it, we're number uh, 30, basically, out of 302. <laughs> so uh, it, yeah, it, it, we're, our housing costs are really high. The other thing driving that is addiction and mental health issues. And, we, and when you look at the addiction issues, Oregon was noted recently for being the number one state in the nation for the combination of heroin and meth addiction, folks that use both. Number one in the nation. 
So here we are, one of the top cost, most costly places to have a house compared to, to median income. We have one of the worst drug problems in the nation. And then we were recognized as having the fourth worst uh, um, amount of mental health issues as a percent of our populations amongst states, you know, and we're also the 50th when it comes to access to mental health care. So we have the fourth worst problem for mental health, but we're, we're number 50 in providing that care. So you take those three things together, high housing costs, high rates of addiction, high rates of mental illness, and low, low access to care. And voila, we're number one in homelessness per capita here in Eugene, little Eugene, Oregon. Not something necessarily to be proud of, but definitely something that we need to try and work on. And, and where I would like to focus would be on those issues of what can we do to increase housing supply and reduce costs? and everything. What can we do to make mental health care more available in the community? What can we do for addiction treatment and really get people into, into treatment? Which sometimes means holding people accountable for their behaviors around addiction. And sometimes that might be arresting them for the property crime they're doing to, to feed their addiction and using that um, potential jail time or prison time to leverage them to, to accept treatment. Um, and that's sometimes one of our most effective means of getting people off the street into treatment and turning their lives around. Anyone that has been to one of our treatment court graduations would hear the stories of that exactly that happened. If somebody committed a crime, got caught for that crime, was kind of given the choice. You can enter treatment court or you can go to prison. And they usually choose treatment court and work on those issues. And if they go through the program and graduate, they usually turn their life around. Um, so those are some of the things we need to do. Um, but that's going to require, you know, resources to run those courts. But the other thing it's going to require is we need to have you know, a better public safety presence out, out, particularly out in rural Lane County. Because we've got folks that are, you know, living on properties, inviting their, their, their drug friends to live on the property, sometimes in tents, sometimes in broken down RVs. We don't have a lot of enforcement capability to get those people off those properties. But you know there's other crimes going on that the sheriff's office doesn't have that ability to get them off of there. So we're not being very helpful to those people where they just continue with their addictions and, and mental health issues, you know, for years living on these, these um, properties that become eyesores and public health um, risk for their neighbors, uh, centers of crime for neighborhoods. And, um, you know, we're just allowing them to keep to stay out there in the community um, and we you know the, the difficulty in dealing with those is just um, really tough and if we just had a little bit more uh, police response resource in rural areas yeah maybe we might be able to get some of those folks uh, moved into some of those treatment courts and, and get them you know off those properties and, and out of the you know protective safety and 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 value property values of the neighbors uh, that are around those and that's kind of you know what the second part of today's meeting was about was about maybe changing our um, strategic plan priorities and, and the things that i really um, tried to focus on was housing mental health and public safety and and how all three of those tied together with each other and trying to focus on those things because I think that's where we can make a big impact for the livability of people in our county. I mean, just have to talk to a guy from Elkhorn Brewery about livability 
issues with homelessness. Um, and, if, you know, and, and not only that, make a big impact in those, those people's lives that are suffering from, you know, mental health crisis and addiction and are homeless. So it's kind of like, you know, what can we make the biggest bang for? Unfortunately, some of my fellow commissioners think it's, you know, equally important to spend resources on a climate action plan and, and climate change initiatives, um, which, you know, not saying whether there's a climate crisis or not. We'll, we'll, you know, I don't want to debate that at this moment. But when you think about what does Lane County have the ability to move the needle on and actually make change, and where should we spend our resources? When you think about the climate, the state of Oregon is number 47 out of the 50 states in per capita carbon footprint. And we basically are just about half the national average of carbon emissions per person per year. And when you think about Lane County's you know, population and then what Lane County government actually controls because um, the folks living in the city of Eugene already have the city doing a climate action plan. So we're, you know, we don't really have jurisdiction inside city limits. So it's really just the 100,000 people that are living outside city limits that we might be able to do any, you know, do anything that's going to really change their carbon footprints. But if you took all those people and made them go away and they had zero carbon footprint, it would only make about a 0.017% difference in U.S. carbon emissions annually. Infinitesimal. You know, not going to make a major change in the climate one way or the other. Um, you know, when you think about if, if that's a concern of yours, you know, really is taking action in rural Lane County going to make a difference, or is this really something you should be dealing with at state and national levels? Not that I'm advocating for that either, but it just seems like as we look at our strategic plan for Lane County and the limited resources we have, what is going to make the biggest difference for citizens in this county? And one of the things I noted to my fellow commissioners is I've never had anyone stop me in a grocery store coffee shop, restaurant, you know, walking down the street, whatever, because they recognize me as a commissioner and go, you know what, Mr. Commissioner, I really want you to do something about the climate. You know what they asked me about? They asked me about when we're going to get a decent police presence out in rural Lane County. You know, you know when are we going to do something about the property crime levels? You know, what's happening about homelessness? You know, you know, maybe it might be, you know, my neighbors, you know, you know, got a really noisy motorcycle as kid rides around the yard all the time. What can I do about that? You know, neighbor to neighbor complaint. Never, ever in, in my eight and a half, almost eight and three quarters, I guess now, years as a commissioner, has anybody stopped me and said, I really want you to do something about climate. It's always been public safety, the economy, you know, jobs in the economy, neighbor issues, zoning issues, or, you know, one of the ones I get stopped about a lot is I tried to get a permit to do such and such, and the permit fees and the time it took were, were insane. You know, how, how can we make that easier? You know, not climate change. And speaking of that, you know, I've talked about how it seems like we're um, our current board chair is, is encouraging people to come to public comment so that he can try and drive our agenda. Well, we've got a group of people that came in uh, this week and wanted us to um, write a support letter for um, a federal piece of legislation. H.R. 763, which is the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. And apparently they've convinced um, the folks up there in Benton County to write a similar letter. Now, I know the Benton County commissioners and um, 
all three of them would be very at home in uh, South Eugene's university neighborhood as far as political leanings go. Um, in fact, they might even be left of that. Uh, so I wasn't surprised they wrote a letter of support. But when you look at the act and the claims they make, um, you know, what the act basically does is it creates a carbon tax. They call it a fee. But the tax progressively gets larger and larger until they basically price um, you know, fossil fuels, et cetera, out of the market. That's the objective over time. But the money collected in the tax is supposed to be returned back to people. You know, and, and it basically uh, equal shares every month to all the American people, as they put it. Now, mind you, I've never seen a, a tax collected that's supposed to be redistributed not get eaten up in administrative costs. Uh, one only has to look at Social Security taxes and how much is being eaten up by the massive bureaucracy that's the Social Security Administration. So you know they'll have to set up a huge bureaucracy to collect the carbon taxes and then to redistribute the carbon taxes so the American public might see a small fraction of those actual tax collections. Uh, most of it will go to hiring folks. So. I sort of believe one of their claims that this will create 2.1 million jobs because probably about 2 million of that 2.1 million will be with the federal government. Uh, but, you know, when you really, and I always love it when I hear somebody say something like, oh, this will create jobs. They never talk about the jobs it's going to destroy. Now, one of the things is, you know, that talk about creating 2.1 million jobs. At this time, there is only 1.9 million jobs in America in the energy sector. So they're talking about creating 2.1 million jobs, you know, supposedly because this is going to make people switch over to green energy and that's where the jobs will get created. Well, currently there's only 1.9 million in the entire energy sector, of which 1.1 million are in traditional fossil fuels. The other 800,000 are, are what they call low-carbon um, energy. Now, mind you, that 1.1 million generates over 75% of the energy used in America, where the 800,000 is only is less than 25%. So a little bit more than half the energy sector jobs generate over three-quarters of our energy needs and almost half of those jobs just to get less than a quarter. Um, so not a very efficient um, use of, of employment there, but uh, you know, if they're gonna create 2.1 million jobs and they're basically gonna kill off the, the, the quote fossil fuel industries, so I know they're gonna get rid of at least 1.1 million jobs on that side of the ledger. You know, Not to mention that you start raising um, the cost of gasoline and, and natural gas and um, you know coal generated electricity and all that that is definitely going to kill other jobs uh, you know as we become uncompetitive in the world in some areas or just things become real expensive you know anytime you increase cost you're going to you're going to destroy jobs taxation suppresses job creation and actually can can create unemployment. So I just I don't buy the uh, fact sheet they put out as they call it for HR 763. And I hope our board won't go that direction. Because um, it's definitely not going to be good for the economy. And I, you know what people don't realize is our food production system in this country is driven by fossil fuels. I mean, somebody show me a tractor that runs on electricity that's generated by windmills and solar. I, I haven't seen it yet, you know, because it's really not an easy way and not even an efficient way to be plowing a field. Show me Show me how you're going to make um, 
the ammonium-based fertilizers without using natural gas in that process. That's one of the number one uses of natural gas in this country is producing fertilizer. That which we wouldn't be the breadbasket of the world. So when you start talking about driving up the cost of petroleum and fossil fuels, you're talking about driving the cost of food. So I, I, don't, I don't know how driving up food costs and energy costs is going to be good for people. The other one I always love is they, they claim that it's going to improve air quality, and I'm just I'm just not quite sure. You know, CO2 is something that plants you know use to you know grow, <laughs> and it's you know really not unless it's you know to the exclusion of oxygen in the atmosphere is not poisonous to to humans. Um, how that equates to cleaner air. And, and even you know, some of the, the green technologies have their own issues in the, the mining and refining of some of the rare earths it takes to, to make them work um, with air quality issues. So interesting you know, that we're going to try and focus on that in our strategic plan and, and not focus as heavily on some of the real issues that I think most people care about here in, in Lane County. Yeah. People want to be able to get a cop when they need one. People don't want somebody, you know, breaking the windows in their business because they're out on the street suffering from mental illness. Um, you know, those are things people, you know, have to deal with day to day. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll leave the climate action plan to the city of Eugene and and possibly the state of Oregon, but I, you know, diverting county attention away from the real problems that people suffer from, I think, uh, is a mistake because we just will not have it. We won't move the needle. We're better off, you know, purely planning on resilience and making our communities more resilient to all natural. Um, disasters than trying to plan for one specific type and, and trying to mitigate against that one specific type when our mitigation would be high cost, low impact. There's so many other mitigation work we could be doing and resilience work we could do that has a high return on investment. This will have a very low return on investment. So threw some red meat out there on the Bo's Nose Show. I threw out everything from homelessness to climate. I don't expect the phones to start ringing off the hook any minute now, but you can reach us at 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets you get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1 to get in on the conversation here on the Bo's Nose Show. Uh, and we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about doesn't have to be homelessness, doesn't have to be climate. Uh, it can be whatever you want to talk about. But I also mentioned in my promo for the show that we had had a little discussion about uh, AOCC, and most people are like, what the hell is that? You know, uh, we all know what AOCC is, and I don't expect you to because it's an acronym. It's the Association of Oregon and California Railroad Land Counties. Uh, it's a, the, the, the short version of it. Association of OMC Counties is the way people most refer to it. And it's referring to those counties that have these unique set of lands that were um, given to a railroad company to sell, uh, to finance uh, a railroad link between Seattle I mean, between Portland and uh, San Francisco, of which the railroad company ended up being corrupt and the federal government took the land back. And those folks in the counties at that time were concerned about the federal government having all this land and, and not generating tax revenue from it. 
So the federal government set up a system of revenue sharing and ultimately um, codified that in the 1937 ONC Act that basically um, provided a cost-sharing mechanism and set up those lands to be um, mostly for timber production to generate revenue for the counties. And that was their primary purpose on a sustained yield basis and at a minimum, uh, the act actually contained a minimum level of harvest, uh, which is well below the sustained yield of what grows on, on the, the land. Um, but there's an association of the counties, the 18 counties in Oregon that have that, that land that unique federal land. There's no land like this anywhere else in the U.S. Um, and uh, that association lobbies the federal government a lot to do multiple things. You know, something as simple as making sure they're doing their math correctly when they distribute revenue back to the counties. And if you think that that we shouldn't have to do that, there are actually a couple occasions in the last couple of years, particularly around sequestration, where the association proved that the federal government made a mistake and it actually uh, generated almost $600,000 in additional revenue to Lane County alone because the federal government made a mistake in those, in those calculations. Um, and it takes somebody that has paid attention to that for a long time and has expertise in the formulas and processes to make to catch them and their mistakes. Something we don't have the staff necessarily to do, and maybe a lot of the other counties don't, but as an association, we do. Well, last spring, um, the board chose to pull their membership out of the association because they didn't kind of like some of the, the, the uh, policy stances the association takes from time to time. They felt it was too heavily in favor of timber harvest, um, you know, even though the lands that we're, were uh, in charge, this association's in charge of trying to lobby for are, were set up specifically for timber harvest. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the issue. They didn't agree with the policy side. It amazes me, though, these same three commissioners that are upset about that are also upset about Supreme Court's Janus decision which was basically allowing government union employees to opt out of being members of the union because they didn't agree with the union's policy stances. But they kind of felt like it was unfair because those employees benefit from the union contracts uh, because they that helped keep their wages and benefits uh, higher. Um, so there were some of the arguments some of the other commissioners were making that want to stay out of, continue to stay out of AOCC was, well, we'll still get our, our, our revenues from the, from the federal government, won't we, even if we're not a member? And all I could think was that, you know, that's exactly your argument against the Janus decision, that those folks are getting benefit from the union without paying dues. You're not being very consistent, at least in that sense. So, but, you know, you can't always ask human beings to be consistent and logical. And it's probably one of my failings in, in being an engineer and an engineer type brain is I kind of want people to be consistent. If you're gonna make an argument one time, it should be the same argument on another issue. You shouldn't be able to disconnect your brain and say, I don't like this because that person benefits from something without paying into the system. And then you're saying, I don't want to be a member of this because we, we can still benefit without paying into the system. Yeah. That, that logical disconnect just makes my engineer brain kind of, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, pet peeves of Jay Bozovich on the Bose Nose Show. But, you know, if you've got a pet peeve you want to talk about, you know, you can get in here at 646-721-9887, and uh, we can talk about it live here on the Bose Nose Show. It comes to you every Wednesday. So, you know, we 
talked a little bit about AOCC. And, and the thing that really gets me about AOCC is at the same time as we're talking this, you know, strategic plan stuff, one of the things that the commissioners want to talk about in strategic plan is sources of revenue to get some of the things done they want to do. And it's like the ONC lands used to provide almost all of the services in Lane County. How can you not want to fix that problem and, and look at that source of revenue? Walking away from that is basically saying, you know what, I don't want the federal government to carry their share of, of services for the land they took away from us and took out of our tax rolls. Instead, I want all the rest of the people and property owners in Lane County to pay more taxes to support the initiatives I want to get done. So, you know, all the, the commissioners that walked away from the association are basically saying they're going to raise your taxes in the future because they don't want to participate in, it, in a group that's that's going to that has been trying consistently to find a resolution in, of a permanent style to the lack of funding that's been coming from the federal government. I mean, if if we were getting inflation adjusted, what we used to receive from the ONC lands, it would basically double our general fund. You know, and, and we'd be able to do a lot of the work that people want to get done on homelessness. We'd be able to put a lot more cops out in rural areas. We'd be able to expand some of our mobile mental health crisis response and keep folks with mental illness out of our criminal justice system. But no, we're not going to participate in AOCC. We're not going to talk about how we could actually get revenue from the federal government you know, for that federal state that's contained here in Lane County. Um, and, and we're going to just look to our local taxpayers to fund that. You know, whether it's, you know, I've heard talk of a construction excise tax that will raise the cost of housing. I've heard, you know, issuing bonds to support affordable housing, which is going to raise your property taxes, which is housing costs again. You know, didn't I say something about us being one of the top places for the cost of housing when you adjust it for median income? Mm -hmm. I think I did. So, that, you know, it seems like everywhere they look, it's like, Housing costs, raising housing costs, raising housing costs, raising housing costs from the local taxpayers instead of maybe making the federal government and you know do something in, in, in the best sense. Why have the federal government and the taxpayers of the nation you know supporting us when we could actually be harvesting timber that pays us that that money, generates jobs, provides you know, lumber for housing and keeps the housing costs down, you know, and and a building material that is far less carbon intensive than concrete and steel. That's recyclable and, you know, organic. You know, there's so many things that are good about wood construction that I could go on and on and on um, in comparison to concrete and steel uh, in a lot of ways. Why not, you know, generate that material out of our federal OMC lands, not talking about all federal lands. I mean, there's still wilderness, there's still U.S. Forest Service that's multiple use where, you know, there is that balance and there's very little harvest done on U.S. Forest Service anymore. I'm just talking about these particular group of lands called the, the Oregon and California Railroad Lands and generating revenue off of them and jobs so that we don't have to tax you. But our current Board of Commissioners majority basically is walking away from the one group that's trying to get that done, which tells me what they want is for local Lane County citizens to increase their taxes to pay for the things they want to do. Think about that for a few minutes. So, I, 
you know, talked last week a little bit about the Every 15 Minutes program and uh, how impactful that was. And I just have to report, and it's sad news, that there was a fatality on Highway 126 out near Walton uh, this last weekend. You know, they did the Every 15 Minutes program, um, you know, last week, and, you know, within four days of doing that program, there was a fatal accident. Another, you know, I've talked about this before, lane departures. Another lane departure accident, which means it was something the driver was doing or being distracted. And uh, they, uh, you know, ended up off the road and, and causing a fatality. And it's just really a sad thing. And I, you know, wish that wouldn't happen but you know it's really hard you know we've done a lot since i had the safety task force about putting rumble strips in to hopefully wake people up when they're crossing the center line or drifting onto the shoulder um you know we've added some uh, widened some shoulders and places there added some guardrails done all sorts of things trying to make that road a little bit safer but you can't engineer out driver behavior that happens with the people making the decisions behind the wheel. And if you're tired, you're impaired, don't try. Put that cell phone where you can't reach it, turn it on silent, turn it off, whatever you need to do to ignore it. If you got passengers in the car with you, you know, let them know not to distract you uh, if they're getting too rambunctious. Uh, you know, just pay you know pay attention to the job at hand driving that vehicle because I, you know the vast majority of the fatalities and serious injury accidents are lane departures. There's only a few reasons for why people leave their lanes. They made a decision to go a little too fast for whatever the weather conditions were. You know, they decided to drive even though they, they you know, had a few drinks or a couple tokes or whatever, or, or still, you know, not quite slept off that ambient from the night before. You know, they, they, they looked down at a text message for a few seconds. You know, it's just the, the distracted, impaired, tired driving, driving too fast for conditions. That's why people leave their lanes. And it's the most common cause of fatalities. Occasionally we'll see a fatal at an intersection, somebody that pulled out in front of somebody, that, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, most of them are somebody that drives, you know, crosses the center line or goes off the side of a road and hits a tree or something like that. And almost all the you know, the causes for that that particular style of accident begin with the driver and decision the driver made. So sad news that you know here we were trying to convince a bunch of teenagers to make good decisions behind the wheel that we actually had somebody as, that was an adult um, have one of those lane departure accidents on Highway 126 last weekend. So um, kind of with that little somber news there, maybe we'll do something a little bit more lighthearted. And uh, I want to remind folks that it's that time of year for us to fall back this weekend with your clocks. Besides the fact, don't forget to go out and buy candy tomorrow, unless you want your house egg or toilet paper. <laughs> Tomorrow's Halloween. Don't forget that. But this weekend, Saturday night, got to fall back, you know, set your clocks back an hour. Um, is that one of the most crazy things that humankind has ever invented? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love the one meme you see on Facebook sometimes with the Native American there and he's holding up a blanket or something that's had a piece cut off and re-sewn on the bottom. <laughs> and, and, and it says only a white man would think that you can make something longer by 
you know, blanket longer by cutting a piece off of one end and sewing it back on the other. Um, daylight saving time and, and, and uh, standard time. I don't know why we have to keep rotating back and forth between the two. Pick one. I don't care which one. Just pick one. Well, I got something regarding that. This yeah. Time is that uh, we got a lot well, like my thermostat is hard coded for the old um, time change. So it's already changed and uh, uh, screws up everything. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they did change what, you know, they made uh, daylight savings time longer a few years back and changed that. Yes. Yeah, so that probably has everybody screwed up. You know, if you have a old thermostat. Yeah. Or an old computer or something. Yeah, but yeah, it's just the changing back and forth is silly. And and I will have to give credit to the Oregon legislature; they did pass a bill that would put us permanently on daylight savings time, provided that Washington State and California State do also. Washington State has, California has not yet, even though there was a, a referral to the voters, and the voters voted overwhelmingly in support of moving there. The legislature failed to pass the bill in their last session. But yeah, I got to get all three states to agree, and then the Congress has to grant permission for us to do that. So it may be, you know, we're at least going to take the steps to eliminate that time change thing, but it's going to, it could be years before it actually happens. We got to wait for California to take action, and we got to wait for the federal government to take action. And, you know, we talked last week about the fact that they need to fix a little piece of tax code, but they're too damn busy, um, you know, holding hearings in the basement of, uh, of the, the Capitol there uh, under cover of darkness or whatever <laughs> to get the people's work done. So I'm not real hopeful that once California does pass something, um, and, and hopefully they choose the state to do like we did and go to daylight savings time rather than standard, because that would really screw things up if they maybe want to go the other direction. Who knows? Um, so just trying to get three states to agree on something and then the federal government grant us permission to move forward. And then eventually we might be able to change. But it's just um, it's one of those things where it just seems silly to, to make that sort of change. You know, if, if there's a need to change school hours in the wintertime, change the hours for the school or something. Don't change the entire clock for everybody else. Uh, if you remember that, because we tried it God, a long time ago, we didn't change it. Then they said it wasn't going to work because it was too dark for the kiddies going to school. Yeah. Of course, now you've got cell phones with flashlights built into them. or Yeah. Yeah, and how many kiddies actually walk to school anymore? At least when I drive by the elementary school here, um, locally here in Elmira, almost everybody shows up in a car. Yeah. And in fact, the car drop-offs seem to far outnumber the bus, school bus drop-offs uh, at schools nowadays. And one of the biggest issues you'll see in, in most school districts is about um, queuing for kids coming out of school and stuff like that, making sure parents don't. Uh, back up in the streets and cause traffic jams and traffic accidents as they try and show up uh, a few minutes early for school to let out and be waiting there for little Johnny. Um, and it actually is causing real traffic issues around our schools because kids don't walk to school anymore. <laughs> you know, it's pretty rare. So, I, you know, time changes just because kids might have to walk to school in the dark Sort of does kind of make sense some ways. So I, I got a question that I'm, I'm sure everybody is just wanting to know. Mm -hmm. Is what type of candy at the Bozovich house? Uh, none. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the the the, the joys and and um, not so joyful things is I don't get to see kids in costume anymore. Uh, when we moved out to this place, uh, we bought candy the first couple of years to get zero trick-or-treaters. <laughs> you know, when, when you live out in an area where our, our lot's one of the smallest lots, and we're like an acre and a half, 
Most of them are five to 20 acres. Kids don't tend to trick or treat this neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> they tend to go in, you know, their friend that lives in Veneta that lives in a neighborhood of a bunch of, you know, tenth of an acre lot houses. Um, yeah, that's a whole lot more lucrative to go trick or treat in that neighborhood. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that our yard is fully fenced and the dogs and the, you know going through gates and things like that. So we we have never had a trick or treater show up. If we do, I'm giving them cash. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, folks. Yeah, yeah but I, you know that, that you know one of the things about living in the country is you know sometimes you just there's no way you're going to get a trick or treater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we stopped buying candy at I think the second year after we got zero. Because when we did buy candy, guess who ate it? <laughs> yeah, that's the downside of it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no candy at the Bozovich household. But I was always one for trying to give out good candy. Yeah, I was, you know, back when fun-sized Snickers were actually a decent-sized bar, you know, something like that. You know, I was, I was giving out pretty good candy, you know. I was never the one that bought the package with all the little Smarties and various things you know <laughs> the cheap stuff you know the, the giant bag of costco cheap stuff nah nah i was i spent some money Reese's peanut butter cups snicker bars good stuff because if i had leftovers i was going to want to like it too <laughs> that's true and i'm still trying to figure out the fun and the fun sides yeah yeah they've got i mean now they got these things that are like a cube <laughs> yeah <laughs> one bite <laughs> you know it's Back to said is that, uh, you know, when we were kids, you could go to the store and for 25 cents, you know, get this huge Snickers candy bar. For a dollar, you can get a whole bag of candy. Remember peanut candy? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, I, I see them. I'm going to I'm gonna say it. I'm going to say it. Squirrel. <laughs> oh, there she goes. Squirrel. <laughs> uh, at least they're not getting in my lap like I got them to last time. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we just have a couple minutes left in the Bose Nose show here as we've wandered off into uh, things like uh, the time change and Halloween. Uh, but if you have a quick call you want to make in here, we can still take you with two minutes left. 646-721-9887 here to get into the Bose Nose Show. Again, 646-721-9887. We'll talk about what you want to talk about. In fact, you know, if I get a caller at the end of the show, I'll take the show past an hour. You know, we actually we actually block out 90 minutes for the show with Blog Talk Radio and, and our folks so that if we're in the middle of something, we don't cut it off right at, at the hour. You know, I, I don't do like Lars Larson or Rush Limbaugh and you're coming up on a hard break and you just cut things off, you know, at the end of the show, we'll go right on past our time limit. Uh, if we have something hot going on, it's one of the great things about the Bose No show. Is we can have a conversation. That's right. What I'd like to also see too, is that, uh, uh with Halloween tomorrow, um, be interesting if people post pictures on our websites of their costumes and what they did or the fun size candy bar. Yeah. Just please, no blackface. No blackface, yeah. Yeah. I don't need to, you know, have somebody post it on my site and then blame it on me. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I could just see it, you know. Um. Top story tonight, blackface on the KRBN Internet News Talk radio show. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. The poor choice of those kids up there in Albany, you know, blacking their faces out to scare people in a corn maze and or a haunted house or whatever it was, and then you know, not being smart about having a group picture taken. Yeah. Uh yeah. Just wonder if that one's gonna follow those kids around for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and I can see if somebody dresses up as a devil. Well, you, you, what was it? The Star Wars characters were getting a little bit of uh, criticism too, as being, I don't know, sexist, racist, or something. 
Yeah, and of course you can't, you know, dress up um, and uh, appropriate another culture nowadays. So, you know, don't wear a sombrero and a big mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Go go anywhere as the Frito Bandito. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting the way, the way PC has has drifted into our our Halloweens and certain costumes are and, yeah in some ways it's not a bad thing. Well, yeah, there is there is lack of taste. Yeah, there is lack of taste. But I, I truly think some of the scariest costumes would be to dress up as a political figure. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've never really truly understand that, but then again, there's a lot of things I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember, you know, back when I was young, having people dress up as Spiro Agnew or or Chippy Dick. Um, you know, I'm not a crook. It'd be pretty scary knocking on your door. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's about it for this edition of the Bose Nose Show. I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll be back next week here live from beautiful downtown Elmira. At 4 o'clock next Wednesday, have a great week. Happy Halloween.